0: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
1: You have to do uncomfortable stuff through uncomfortable stuff. Great change and good energy comes out of it. So just turn a bad situation into a good one.
2: Welcome to episode 55 of The Adventure Podcast. This episode is the first full release of our new mini-series for Kendall Mountain Festival in association with Yeti. We've partnered with KMF to put together four incredible stories of adventure and exploration. We're bringing you conversations with two well-known individuals, Ben Saunders and Gilly MacArthur, but also two relatively unsung heroes, Mountaineer Matt Sharman, and the protagonist of this episode, Hunter Workman. But before I tell you about Hunter, I'd like to say a little about Kendall. I've been visiting KMF for 10 years now, and it was at the festival that I made the solid, fixed decision that I was going to pursue a career in adventure film. It's been a single-minded focus for a whole decade now, So it feels incredibly fitting and natural that we've joined up with Kendall to bring you this short series. For obvious virus-related reasons, um, the entire festival is digital this year. There's an unbelievable wealth of films, interviews and specialist sessions online, and it's all available to watch and enjoy in a variety of different formats, depending on whether you'd like Um, and access all areas pass, or simply a quick ticket for a single session. All of this content will also be up and online until the end of December, so you've got plenty of time to enjoy as much of it as you can. I really believe in the festival, and at a time of our collective existence where we're doing what we can to help those around us and protect small businesses, A ticket for KMF is a pretty good way to spend a few quid and get inspired to drift out on your own adventures, big or small, whenever possible. Um, It goes without saying that I would obviously recommend the 90 minute Rewima session that I put together for Kendall with Leo, Waldo and Anna, uh, who you'll be familiar with if you've listened to our Rewima expedition series. Also, podcast favourites Sophie Roberts and Aldo Kane have their own sit-down sessions, and there's a huge, uh, huge variety of wonderful, inspiring films to check out. So head to kendallmountainfestival.com and get involved. Finally, this series has been filmed, rather than just audio recorded. So if you'd like to get up close and personal with these guests, then you can watch the conversations in full on the Yeti Base Camp on the KMF website. Right, I'll introduce you to Mr. Workman. Um, This particular chat sprung out of a serendipitous meeting. Uh, Ben Saunders, polar explorer extraordinaire, who also features in this series, mentioned that he would met a guy called Hunter Workman in his local pub and that I should definitely meet him. A few pints of Guinness uh, and some seriously deep conversation later, I made the firm and easy decision to ask Hunter to come and speak to me on the podcast. It took a while to make it happen, I think it's over a year actually, but this is that conversation. And Hunter's one of those people that I'm incredibly proud to interview. Uh, He's quiet, humble and um, largely unknown outside of his family and friends. He's just a man who gets on with living his life in the way that suits him. You'll hear how he describes himself early on in the episode, but it's fair to say he lives a rugged outdoor life. He also took it upon himself to paddle the entire length of the Yukon River with no previous experience and totally alone. In this chat, I talk to Hunter about his life in the woodlands of Gloucestershire. Um... How he spent all of this summer's lockdown living in a tent, and what happened on that river trip in the Yukon. There is um, more than the occasional moment of philosophical thinking, and he gives shout outs to his favourite poets. So, this really is a proper dive into the life of a man who lives on his own terms. I'm very pleased to be able to introduce you to Hunter Workman. We haven't actually planned this, you know, that carefully, and we don't know each other very well, I suppose.
1: Probably best, right?
2: Yeah. We met in a bar, introduced, well, bar, pub, introduced by Ben Saunders, had three pints of beer, put the world to rights, and now we're sat in a woodshed, and I'll do the little podcast, the intro bit, but people who are watching this at Kendall Mountain Festival can see us. And people who are listening to this on the podcast can't see the setting. So we're sat in this kind of knockdown shed, dilapidated stone, corrugated roof. There's dripping um, drain pipes everywhere. There's, well, the rain outside, the sun's setting. It's an autumn day. It's been a mix of weather. And now we're just going to chat about the life of a man who spent his time in the woods and paddled some rivers and what he thinks about the world. Yeah. So, as an intro, can you introduce yourself? Who are you, what do you do, S- however you see that, whatever that means to you? Right,
1: my name's Hunter Workman. Um
2: Primarily a
1: fencing contractor. I work mainly in Gloucestershire, in the woods, outdoors, generally, um, deer manager, um turner of stones you know walker of paths that kind of stuff so that's that's about it really
2: you know that's quite a lot of things yeah so how does that work as a job um (laughs) 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 generally yeah
1: yeah yeah uh you know fairly interesting day-to-day um maybe i should have chose a different career path a long time ago and i'd have probably been driving a porsche or something but i'm not The vehicle's got a great dent in the side and i kind of like it so it's pretty much it i suppose maybe a bit of imprinting by my parents but yeah
2: but i think i mean it's fair to say right that you live a life on the land in the land part of the landscape?
1: Yeah, I would say I have a strong sense of place to these valleys, um, rivers, watersheds, trees, animals, uh, in a kind of existential way, see myself as a part of it, without
2: kind of getting too waffly on it. But No, waffly on existential sense of place is good.
1: Yeah. Um, I feel my heritage in these places at times when you allow yourself to
2: and you're from this part of the world right yeah uh, born and bred
1: (laughs) yeah born and bred and for a long time I was like right gotta go somewhere else and do something else and you know who's to say I won't um but maybe yeah I just like it I love it love it love it love it maybe too many people but I suppose some, that's maybe too many houses, too many people blowing in from London. <laughs> 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 yeah, but no, that's it, pretty much. Love it. I'm kind of read the poetry. Laurie Lee was from just along the road, and all that kind of stuff. So indoctrinated into loving the heritage of this place.
2: Is that Dude. right?
1: Laurie Lee's from down the road. Yeah, literally
2: just down the road. One of you know the many fantastic writers and. Creative types. So, what was childhood like for a man like you? A child like you? Absolutely fantastic. Yeah,
1: walked to walked to school through the snow and the rain and the sunshine. And um, dad was a forester and mum was a nurse. It, oh yeah, was a nurse. Uh, my older sister Jane. Um, we went to the local school, and we lived in a old uh, mill that was recorded in the doomsday book so old place um yeah just rooted i suppose stream ran around the side of the house the horizon was my garden you know like so yeah fill your boots do what you want i know get involved
2: were you not tempted down the route of playstations and pokemon cards and
1: (laughs) no i was bullied um quite a few years, because we didn't have a TV, so kind of like forced to read, so no computers. Uh, and I'm really grateful for that now. You so. You've not rebelled against it? No, absolutely not. I think I've played about 10 minutes of Demolition Derby 2, <laughs> and that's it, yeah. Uh,
2: and Instagram now, it's about as kind of computer as I get, so. But. but I mean, you know, we're going to go there early on in this conversation, but you think that way of life is dying? No, I'm
1: sure it's probably not dying. I'm sure there's people who kind of are practitioners of it. It's just um, calls on us and time and what we value. I suppose has changed a lot. I'm only thirty-five, but it seems like a lifetime ago. And I drive around and say, "Oh my God, look how many, how this has changed, or how many different houses and roads and shops and all this kind of stuff." But and the pressures of modern life, you know. My sister raises her kids, like, fairly holistically, so it's kind of nice to see another generation of Sasquatches coming through. <laughs> uh, and their dad's like a groundworks contractor, so they're playing on diggers, and but she takes them to art galleries, and yeah, they're just super, super cool.
2: That's what's so interesting, man, because I, when we met, you know, people like you and I look a certain way and I think people expect certain things of us. But you I mean, without even being prompted, you talked about Laurie Lee and you talked you know, you said your sense of place comes from the poetry. You used the term sasquatch. You know. <laughs> and I understand the the point about being a Sasquatch, but there's so much more to it than that, right?
1: Uh <laughs> no, I don't know. It's just a funky word, right? <laughs> <laughs> um No, I I enjoy writing, and poetry, and words, and stuff like that, but um, I don't necessarily do it enough. I don't think a lot of us do things we enjoy or kind of find uh, peace in enough. Um, As I say, like pressure, you know, work, and the paths we choose dictate kind of what we can and can't do with our time, I suppose.
2: Well, so what do you value? Um,
1: I think it was Daniel, Daniel Boone or Davy Crockett. It was like good horse, a good woman and a good rifle. <laughs> I'm going to go with him, So, whichever <laughs> one it was. <laughs> uh, what do I value? Um, uh, here comes the rain. Here comes the rain. Yeah. What do I value? All of it, I suppose, if you actually allow yourself Um, standing in the rain is pretty good standing in the sun just being aware of it I suppose that's what I value and when that kind of fades away I don't know if that makes sense you know just being present it's a bit of a fashionable word but being present Um, I think this year has definitely kind of focused that up a bit we're pretty lucky we are really 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 extremely lucky You know, I might not have a kind of bunch of money, but I've got my health, got a wicked family, awesome girlfriend, live in a pretty nice place, doing something I kind of want to do, making some money.
2: It's pretty good, right? Yeah. And is that, I mean, I put my own views on it, but is that not the way it's always been? That's what we aspire to, right? All the things you just said.
1: Yeah, I suppose. I'm pretty lucky, right? I'm kind of going on a super positive thing at the minute. Don't get me going on like bills and stuff when it doesn't start or broken chainsaws and things. But um, yeah, I think you've got to look look for the positive and I suppose that's the way it always has been. Contentment and just going kind to of refine what you really need. Computers definitely aren't the answer. You know, mobile phones. The devil. <laughs> So let's talk. I but mean, I still got one in my pocket,
2: right? Yeah, because, you know, that's the real world now. Yeah. You can choose when you switch it on and off. Mm-hmm. I suppose, but it kind of claws into you then. Oh, i just like oh, this. Yeah, it does. I don't know. But I think it's important for people who don't live lives like yours to know that you do it too. Because I don't want to get involved in this sort of conversation with everybody I speak to, which does happen a lot, but People always feel like they're the one who's trapped in that circle. They're the one who's trapped in that spiral of scrolling or the next thing or, I mean, you live with your hands in the soil and you do it too.
1: Yeah, I think uh, surely it's human nature. It's probably, if we looked somewhere in our kind of genetics, it's hardwired into some sort of, I don't know, dopamine hit and that's probably what Facebook's loving, you know, like, go and mind that. Um, but just have the power to kind of walk away from it and we are all guilty of, you know being sucked into the um trashy kind of stuff it's no value it's nothing you haven't created anything worked up a sweat all the kind of good stuff that makes you
2: grateful for being alive i suppose let's talk a bit about work because there's so many places and so many ways can <laughs> go to this <laughs> what on earth would you go to work <laughs> what on earth would you go to work straight up? <laughs> because i well you want the honest answer or the real answer because i think i envy you right yeah i think I do. likewise yeah no sure likewise yeah yeah but i and grass is always greener right it's my perception of your life that one day you're building fences or fixing fences the next you're stalking deer the next you're playing with chainsaws what's well, not to love yeah but um as you say, the grass
1: is always greener it's kind of i don't know i think it's probably this year kind of the clocks have just gone back piss wet monday morning it's just like oh my word what on earth is this all about but just take a breath and just kind of put your best foot forward and go for it um i don't know work is just ace isn't it it is ace right we've got to do something you're not going to just sit at home and be on the sofa and if you can kind of find something um that you enjoy doing and earn a bit of money and uh, a bit of work's gone wrong so i've just kind of had to take a bit of a back step but um as long as you kind of can put an angle on it and work around it and stuff like that just keep keep
2: plowing on forward i suppose is there a line, or is there a blurred line between work and play for you? Uh, me- yeah, I suppose
1: so, yeah. No, deer stalking is ace. Um, it's ace because it gets you out there. Um, you have a purpose, it's an enjoyment, an enjoyable thing to do, it's a kind of meditation, it's a respect, uh, it's lots of stuff. I, when used, I used to train, like, lots, you know, for rugby and stuff like that. It was kind of, I felt the same, Sense of purpose, lifting heavy things as I did or do, stalking deer takes you to do a
2: similar place. Why is that? Um, and can you talk us through? I mean, I, I don't imagine many people who are listening to this or watching this know what is actually involved. It's an understanding
1: of um, the impacts of like us, a human being, any other animal on a place and a finite amount of resources. Um, This should be the kind of, I presume, textbook answer of why deer are managed for the kind of uh, general health and wealth of biodiversity and uh, benefit to kind of all species, The, the detrimental effect of a overpopulation of deer on a landscape could have. Um, I think I just lost where I was going with it. But it's everything in balance. We have no um, apex predators. We are the apex predator. So I feel um, if you, for me, sorry, just a little cut back there. I came to deer stalking, dad was a deer stalker, that's not how I came to it. Um, there was a certain kind of piece of beech woodland that I had seen over the years just get absolutely devastated through an overpopulation of deer. And when you see it as a kind of visual thing, that's kind of how I came to it, so. Um, it's not that I like necessarily like killing stuff. It's an integral part of a landscape. It's just we're doing it as opposed to something else.
2: Um, Do you think people do understand it and respect what it is that you do? Or do you think people are judgmental? Um,
1: No, I'm sure some people do. Some people understand it. Um, And it would probably be the same amount of understanding and that I would have of a banker or I don't know, weatherman. <laughs> you know. It will, unless you kind of focus down on something you don't necessarily see the minutia of it. As you pull it apart, you realize there's a lot more fibers and threads to it as the kind of more
2: involved with it you get. I suppose what I'm really interested in is this lifestyle of yours whilst it might not be necessarily rare I think your attitude and your daily life is not something that most people are exposed to and I think that you know it's an interesting insight into the way that the world really works outside of the M25
1: yeah right and it does work it goes on Regardless of, you know, our our even being here, it just turns. And isn't that just, like, the most magical thing? Like, you could just roll up all of humans, all everything we've done. Just, it will carry on trucking. And we're just here for a fleeting moment. So I feel, try not to do too much damage, kind of... Live your life in a kind of fairly beneficial way, kind of tread lightly. Um, Yeah, and just appreciate that you are just a speck, you know, parts per billion (laughs) drop of blood in the ocean, right? What else are we, you know? Does that trouble you? Not really. (laughs) Not really. Um, It's just magic uh through the majority of lockdown i slept on i slept outside for the whole of lockdown so uh just amazing starry nights rain mist just ace and i think it was chris Packham who had said on like a country fire I was like, oh yeah there's certain i'm gonna completely butcher this there's a certain kind of chemical released from the not, uh soil at night that is triggers certain fantastic things in your body and I think I'm just currently riding the wave of that being like so close to the dirt for like absolutely ages
2: <laughs> but don't tell my girlfriend about that huh? you slept outside for the whole of lockdown yeah okay yeah well- <laughs> why, why not right so
1: between between houses and I was just like why not it's a great opportunity Um, for the past couple of years I think it was Al Humphreys always says like try and sleep outside once a once a month or something like that. And it just kind of s-
2: <laughs> snowboard from there. But can you describe lifestyle? I mean, what are we talking like just a normal. two-man Van Gogh tent and- Yeah, just the MSR Hubber, NX.
1: Just a good tent, you know, it's fine. Um, and we've had a really gorgeous summer. So just like a normal day, go to work, all that kind of stuff, normal stresses and strains. But I was sleeping in a tent with the door open through a gorgeous summer, just trying to make the most of it. We couldn't go anywhere, right?
2: So this is... So is this... Is there an element of necessity? No, it's turned into
1: necessity. Weirdly.
2: (laughs) Oh, no, go go on, expand, expand. No, it's
1: not. It's just, oh, I don't know, maybe it's like a cussedness of like, well, I've gone this long, may as well carry on going. Uh, But, yeah, no, it's all right. It's just... And it's good to have something hard in your life.
2: We're too soft, right? Bigger TV, comfier sofa. Just do something hard. This is what I mean when I say is that way of life at risk? Is it a risk? I'm sure if you went like two valleys over
1: you, you'd find a very similar character. That's the whole thing about we feel like, oh, you know, what would happen if we weren't here? What would happen if I wasn't at this company? Well, you leave and it just carries on rolling. Horage we feel present. we feel unique, right? Because we're just like looking out. We're at the centre of our universe. But if you, as I say, if you go ten miles that way, you'd find some other dude. I'm pretty sure doing a similar thing. and It's I, just I, you didn't bump into him in the pub
2: <laughs> No, you're totally right about that. I mean, you have done some stuff that's a little bit different, which we'll come on to. But I, I've asked the question already, but it exploring it again in a different way and that doesn't bother you the insignificance, the lack of unique Um, no
1: because you can't really do anything about it well you can't do anything about it in Buddhism it's uh, if it's broke can you fix it yes no well no move on accept it it's broken get on oh yeah you can well endeavour to fix it or if you want to fix it work in a positive manner and fix it or just get angry at its brokenness. Just get on, you know? What do you get angry at? <laughs> Lots, <laughs> right? We're all conflicted, you know, so. I, the past couple of years, gone on a bit of a journey, definitely a lot happier through Buddhism. Just as kind of one night a week and being a more like the stuff that I've learned from that has definitely made me a lot happier. You mentioned before we started uh, recording about running out of fuel. And the fact you were just like, all right, I've run out of fuel. I haven't got any fuel. <laughs> you could get angry that you didn't fill up. You were just like, all right, what are my options? I could walk. Oh, it's raining. Call the missus. You know, sit here for 40 minutes. Sound. There's very little you can do about it, right? Yeah. You can't grow wings. Can't, like, levitate the van like the van to the petrol station.
2: Which really, really helps with everything. And do you think you've used that coping strategy over the last six to nine months? Yeah, definitely,
1: yeah. Which is probably really
2: annoying for other people. (laughs)
1: But as I said to you, it's kind of wearing a little bit, just kind of getting dark and not knowing what's gonna happen, but yeah. So what do you
2: want out of life?
1: Uh, maybe we won't go to that question. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, Uh, happiness, contentness, I want um, the best uh, for the people I care about and the people I love. I want them to be happy, healthy, well, um, content. That's a pretty honest answer. And what do I want from life? I honestly couldn't tell you. I'm not necessarily the best at looking forward, which is a bit scary. Um five
2: year plans and stuff uh, yeah, do you think the Sasquatch had a five year plan? <laughs> yeah, no probably not.
1: I do feel like I've kind of been maybe uh, there's opportunities and kind of forks in the road where I feel I would be in a very different place if I'd have maybe pushed harder or gone the rockier, rougher, thicker, muddier track um, back then. But that too is gone. We don't have a time machine and I'm here, so accept it. And if you do want a time machine, I suppose you best get busy building one because you can't go back, you know, there's lots of consternation about, or there was a lot of consternation about things maybe not um, capitalized on in my past, but you know, it's gone. Get on with it.
2: Ah, we've all got an element of that, right? In our own way. Right. You're you're a really interesting person to talk to because you haven't just got the everyday, you know, I, I half expected this conversation, which is one of the joys of doing this, is they never go the way I think. To just talk about the love of deer stalking and the love of the woods and things like that, but it sounds like you're a bit of a soul searcher and a bit of a, you know, an explorer of philosophy and theory and.
1: Um, surely
2: that is the purpose of us <laughs>
1: to ask these questions of ourselves.
2: I don't know. if Well, I
1: don't, I don't know, know. Maybe it might not be. <laughs> I'm I... fucked if it's not. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Right? Well, I think people see things in different ways, but... It
1: could be considered navel-gazing. You know, my sister's kind of levelled that at me in the past, which hurt a bit, but you kind of get on with it, I suppose. I don't... It's changed from navel-gazing. Maybe for a period of time it was navel-gazing, but I
2: don't see it as navel-gazing now. What do you see it as? I don't know, you got got... <laughs> uh...
1: Too many Gary Snyder poems when I was little. (laughs) That's what I I see it as. (laughs) Cheers, (laughs) Dad. Yeah. Um, You've got to be interested, right? Or you've got to... We are part of... uh, How do you say it? I don't know, it's kind of getting happy with the kind of transient-ness of it all. We kind of look out and say, oh, those hills, those hills are going to just stay exactly the way they are, right? <laughs> That's just the way they were. My grandpa saw them like that. I'm pretty sure my grandchildren will see them like that, you know. But they too changed, and those two will change.
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, you, you hinted at it here. You know, how do you feel about this place? The good and the bad?
1: Yeah, just, um,
2: I often wish to have a kind of time
1: machine just as a kind of little interesting thing, not to kind of go back and live that life, but just as a kind of snapshot, just to be able to wander around a place I know. Um, just, This is how it was. You know, I'm not necessarily sure what period, but it would definitely be cool. Why? I don't know, just to get really angry about how it's changed. (laughs) (laughs) No, or like, see if Dad was telling the truth about where that tree was, or like, how big this was. (laughs) But, um, no, why? Uh, Because I'm interested in... I don't know, just seeing it before maybe we got here. Uh, Down in Gloucester, not too far from us, there is, I think there's a housing estate on top of it, but there is a a Neolithic fishing camp. So we're like right on the watershed or like right on the Cotswold Escarpment. And you can like, if you go over there, you can see the seven. And if you walk 30 miles that way, you can like get to the Thames. And it's just like, we're in quite a, Apex of two different places, two different worlds, watersheds, like connection and stuff. So, Neolithic man walked over these hills to an important like fishing ground. I am wandering, you know.
2: But um, no, 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 no. That
1: would be super cool to see that.
2: To what extent are you just recreating that with your everyday? Absolutely not. <laughs> like, I'm not
1: as tough as those dudes. <laughs>
2: yeah, but it would just be cool to see stuff
1: like that. There were people. We are just the same as them. We're just putting a bigger bloody footprint instead of just a pile of shells and fish bones and some arrowheads and some marks. We're just doing a lot more of a footprint and it'd be kind of cool to see those guys.
0: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
2: Yeah. So what? how old were you when you went to the Yukon?
1: It was only three years ago. So was it? Yeah, no. It, it, I should have done loads so more. So twi- t-
2: 22 then?
1: No, yeah, 22. <laughs> Again, right? <laughs> um. Yeah, no, it was only three years ago, so, what
2: was that, 32? Good at maths. but And how do you go from moment of inspiration or moment of idea to getting on the aeroplane? Right, um,
1: I was, I think it was, maybe winter solstice, so like, 21st of December, Sent shivers on my back. Um, bit of a weird one. Sat on the banks of the Seven, way low down. Could see the, pardon me. Could see the Seven Bridge, lights, long way away, tied out, massive mudflats. And I was just like, man, there's other rivers. Bit fed up of being around here. Um, always wanted to do stuff like that, but never necessarily allowed myself Um, because the awkward questions of like, oh, well, I've never done it. Something so dramatic. Well, just you probably never will accept that and just kind of get on with it. Maybe that's not you. I've always wanted that to be me. Uh, Well, we hyphenated. Um, And ostensibly the decision was made there and then. I was like, righto. And I literally just walked inside and bought my flights and i thought okay when do the rivers break up or oh, looked at the average breakup on the uh of the yukon river ice and stuff like that I was like okay when was it, it was hmm, may the 11th so i flew out like 10 days earlier than that so i just booked the tickets and went for it i thought suck it up <laughs> we'll work it out right so smashed the piggy bank and went for it
2: and you Matt- paddled the length of the yukon
1: yeah, so two and a half, two thousand four hundred 2,400 miles, I think.
2: Okay, I feel like we have to, you know, logically take a step back and just, how much paddling experience have you got?
1: Like that much.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I've
1: got quite a bit now. Yeah, just uh, inspired by the pictures and stories of just dudes up in that neck of the wood just doing cool stuff, right? Like what? Big beards, guns, bears. <laughs> Uh, voyagers things just going into the country and seeing it anew Um, and I definitely at that time needed some new stuff on my eyeballs so yeah just went for it because what's the worst that's going to happen you come home with your tail between your legs
2: all the other options there is a worse option than that yeah there's quite a few worse options (laughs) um, and
1: who'd you go with? just on my own so yeah that is probably where the kind of seed of it i was kind of on a bit of a journey before then but a lot of um overcoming adversity lessons was learned during that trip can we talk about why um just as hard because well it's not hard but why did a guy i've known for a long time a really really good paddler um his great-grandfather was uh, a Na- uh, Royal Canadian uh, geographical um, Survey group or whatever. He's got a river named up on a different watershed. So um, the Yukon runs west and uh, the Nahani runs the other way. And his great-grandfather's got a river named up there after him, super cool dude. So I paddled a fair bit with him before. Uh, hard man buddhist good biceps and um (laughs) i said oh what about this and i just because he had paddled the yukon quest uh which is a pretty competitive like big race up there not the whole length i think is 300 miles putting a pretty good time And the amount of questions I was asking, like, what about this, what about that? What about the wind's blowing? And and he was just like, well, it is, isn't it? It was like he kind of lost his rag with me. It was just, it is. Well, The wind is blowing, or there is a bear, or it's just, you know, you, you just kind of figure it out and work around it. Don't get eaten. Keep paddling. Don't make bad decisions when you're tired or stressed out. Stop, have a cup of tea, think about it and that stuff reveals itself, all the guidebook reading, all the internet research. And you will know this yourself, right? Just, you put your feet there and you're like, oh right, (laughs) this is a bit different to how I imagined it. But you put your other foot in front of that one, you get going, right? Because it's where you want to be and it's what you want to be doing. You might question how much you want to be doing it, but ultimately it's too late then yeah
2: right <laughs> you're in it <laughs> so what you were there 10 days before the
1: um, ice broke up. yeah so i basically wandering around Whitehorse, like outfitting everything so i bought the canoe i'd rang up a outfitter out there got a canoe sorted jim the guy i paddled with um sorted me out with a paddle nice carbon paddle that he had raced up there with so there's a little bit of kind of like good manager, good energy there going with me um yeah, just got out of there, sorted everything I needed, went Raymere's old school like flour for bannock and beans and rice and no mountain
2: house. Yeah. Well, uh, again, let's. So, can you stay- can you describe the canoe and what was in it? I mean, you had flour.
1: Yeah, right. So two bare barrels, um, and just like base material. I don't know. I've been reading too many old school books and pictures of mountain men, just love it. And I thought, what if you're gonna do it, right? If you endeavor to do something hard, well, do it in the kind of manner in which it's meant to be done, I suppose. So the canoe, I kind of, trying to work out the volume of it. I sat there for like three months, like, I'm not, as I say, math's not the strong point. I was like, I'll work out the cubic volume of this. By the time I get to the end, I think I gave up in the end. uh, 18 foot um clipper, uh, Yukon, so Canadian, beautiful Canadian canoe, fairly flat, not a great deal of rocker, straight running, just loaded up, stable, and I don't know, maybe it's the way of life up there, but maybe how I'm coming across there, super common, the kind of, how they conduct themselves just well if it's raining or if it's super windy just wait just accept work around wait just it's a cool way of life as in being at the mercy of something bigger than you
2: yeah i suppose so you know humor me you paddled two and a half thousand miles Mm. Tell me the story. Um, I want to hear it all.
1: <laughs> I haven't told this story too many times. I've um, told like funny, like good bits, like the Patriots bits out of it. <laughs> but um, so I thought, what happened? I was waiting around at the Outfitters in Whitehorse and what happened a guy walked in and they'd flown a float plane over Lake la barge lake the Berge, which is the kind of first big obstacle on the river a huge massive um uh lake which basically runs north south so the wind just kind of funnels up there so they had flown over and said "Lake la barge is broke uh like breaking up um you're good to go because you didn't basically want to get stuck down there because you could be stuck potentially for a long time although summers are warming up you could get stuck down there and smash into your food supplies when you don't really need to or I know you're kind of in town kind of kicking around getting fat but just maybe wait um <clears throat> so I was like right okay and I'd heard that at like two o'clock in the afternoon <laughs> I was like all oh, right I'll just go then and I was like All oh, right, okay this is this is it it was a bit emotional I just like literally shoved it off and the bloke from the canoe shop took a thought I was like all right sad I was like I'll go and paddle 1800 miles tonight and I'll do the rest tomorrow (laughs) (laughs) so I started paddling I was like right it might take a little bit longer than initially (laughs) initially thought but um first first miles were just beautiful, so I'd paddled up there before on some rivers that had kind of cleared out just to kind of get my head together, so I'd had a bit of understanding of how it all fitted together up there, in the time between I'd got there and the time I started paddling, and um, got to Lake La Barge that night, and it was still quite early, so it was dark, pitch dark, I was like, what am I going to do, like... <laughs> So I didn't set a tent up. I was like, I'm just gonna travel like faster than light. I'll just get up in the morning and just do maybe a thousand miles tomorrow. <laughs> just like roll my sleeping bag out on the side. And uh there, I was like, wow, this is pretty sketchy. Wolves, <laughs> literally about hundreds of meters away. Luckily I had a Garmin in reach. So I was in contact with people, but it was a bit of delay. And Scarlett, my girlfriend, was just getting bonkers messages like, oh, you never guess what. <laughs> just heard wolves howling like super close. Oh, are you in your tent? I was like, no, no. <laughs> Wanted to get an early start. As soon as it gets light, I'm just going to like hustle in the morning. What, you haven't put your tent home? Like, no, I'm literally just sleeping next to my canoe with all my food in it. So <laughs> I'd read all my bear safety stuff.
2: I was going to say, for the uninitiated, <laughs> why, why is that the worst thing you can do? Yeah, <laughs>
1: Bear's like ripping food barrels open and the people next to them. So I would picked up some pretty cool tricks and I got fairly bear savvy and bear casual by the time I got down there to the mouth of the river. But yeah, day one, just in the most beautiful, amazing landscape, fairly untouched. But if you'd have been there, 1842 or whatever the gold rush was up in the Klondike there wouldn't have been a tree on the bank for paddle steamers and stuff like going up and down the river so you think you're in this pristine kind of wild landscape but we've been there before and it's changed and we're seeing not necessarily the original version of it but to me it looked pretty damn good yeah so I think it was day three, I saw my first grizzly just as I had kind of written on the map. Someone was like, that's a banging camp, so I get in there, and I was like, oh, God, <laughs> keep battling. So you saw him from the boat? Yeah, so that was kind of cool. That was my first encounter. Um, there was a bunch of bear encounters, but I'd got a lot calmer in the understanding that you can't fight it, you can't arm wrestle something to your will. You are part of it. You're, although you're using your own locomotion to get down there, you are definitely kind of, I don't know, a bit of driftwood. You're pretty irrelevant. Um, And by the time I kind of got to the end, maybe this is a bit heavy and I'm jumping past the load of stuff and, I was in touch with people, my sister and Scarlett, mum, dad, like sending motivation. Oh, come on, keep ploughing on, you know, get on. But to think, you're standing on the side of a river, and if you didn't move, you just stood there until you died, and you rotted away, and the bears ripped you up, and the wolves, and your juices ran into the river, past salmon. There, there was like literally no one, apart from this digital thing of like, you probably should start moving to stop you completely immersing yourself in like a cellular level with that landscape. And I met a guy in a cabin like way down, not particularly well bloke. And he said, oh, you know, after the winter, they'll bust my cabin open, they'll probably find me dead in here. And for a funeral, I want them to strap me to a tree so the bear like eats me. I just found that the most magic thing and since then I've been like quite good friends with one or two people who knew that guy. And they did a cremation, not that bloke, but they did a cremation at his kind of cabin, like his camp, his fish camp. And I was just like, wow, just, we put so much stuff in the way of what ostensibly we are, a kind of an mass of, you know, organic matter, which is from something and will eventually go to something as much as we don't like to think. So when you say like, it is transient, right? Yeah. And being stood there, you definitely were aware of the transient nature of yourself when you're set against that landscape. Which is awesome. Everybody go out there. (laughs) Don't.
0: (laughs) Well, there we
2: go. Maybe that's something for the clothes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now we're just part of the carbon cycle. Right. Just the washing machine of the universe. Yeah. Tumbling on. So, as much as I'd love to sit and talk about that all day, which we might do um, later, what else was the journey like? I mean, it almost seems like... It was linear, right? You started at the start and you ended at the end. Yeah. How long did it take and what else happened en route? Um, so I had scheduled, I think, for 90 days and I think I got it done in 70. So
1: um met one or two amazing people and like microcosms of all humans, you met some pretty ropey characters as well, which you accept as part of it.
2: They're, um, they're living in...
1: Yeah, so there's kind of one or two bush villages. There were a lot more people up in the kind of Alaskan interior, but um, as modern life and TV and mobile phones, they've been attracted to towns and cutting fish and subsistence lifestyles aren't super appealing. There's no money necessarily in kind of trap lines and stuff like that. So maybe bits of tourism and guiding and a bit of hunting guiding and stuff like that. So you can eke out and it's pardon me, you can eke out an existence, but it's not necessarily a prosperous landscape. It's like a fat star, a fat starved landscape, um, which even goes down to the animals reflect that there is no excess fat on the animals. And the indigenous people up there would understand like fat is a necessity to seeing you through the winter so you gather food from multiple sources. So berry picking in the autumn for sugar and salmon, uh, moose, caribou, and it's a reliance on stuff that, in theory, you should live in harmony with, not to be exploited. Um, so when I say about a fat-starved environment, they would bits of fat behind the eye socket. Is just like gold dust, bits of fat in knee joints and cartilage, anything you can kind of utilize. This is a kind of deep understanding, I suppose, of their heritage and understanding of animals and place and um nod to their ancestors and stuff. Maybe I feel a little bit of that around here, but sorry, just as a side note. No, no that's um but Yeah, just uh, at times quite um, spiritual.
2: So, can you describe as viscerally as you like and as practically, what was your daily life like on the river? Paddle hard, stay out of the wind. Um,
1: Probably and I don't know, you might want to mention Ben saying about climbing Mount Hope. He probably should have climbed Mount Hope, but didn't have time. And maybe there was no one being on my own. There was no one necessarily to say, like, stop, take a second. Although the best stuff I'd read, read on it was, you know, make sure you enjoy your time there as well as just the mission. Um, So... My day would consist of get up, break camp, paddle hard, maybe stop for a brief time, stretch my legs, get back in the canoe, and it's 24 hour daylight. So there's no one saying, go to bed. (laughs) The land of the midnight sun just paddling at the beautiful calm, because the cooler air in the middle of the night, the sun just like stillness, seeing moose swimming across rivers. So paddling throughout the 24 hours. So it kind of became a bit fluid, but just stopping when you were tired. Did you live 24 hour days? Pretty much, yeah.
2: Just so I mean, you kept a clock, so eight o'clock, you woke up and nine o'clock. Oh to- no, sorry.
1: I was just, yeah, fairly active throughout the 24 hour period. If I was tired, I would sleep longer, but, Generally the wind kicked up during the day, so it'd probably make sense to kind of paddle at night, top tip, Um, although it takes a little while getting used to it, you're obviously paddling in cooler, so you're not necessarily seeing all the wildlife and stuff that's out there, but the wind picks up during the day, gets a little bit choppy, a little bit harder work, but, um, and then pitch camp, or pitch a tent, no, sorry. Stop. Have some dinner or tea, then paddle for like five miles. Then pitch your tent. <laughs> then put your canoe way down there. Seems obvious. Uh, yeah, but, right. But why? Because of bears. So yeah, pretty funny story about a bear. Mum's um, always said, "Listen to your inner voice." Right? Has your mum ever said this to you? Like, listen to your inner voice. Yeah, you know best. Pretty tired, and it was quite a long way down, so I kind of had a pretty good understanding, was fairly comfortable with the wildlife and the uh, landscape and the river and how the boat felt and the wind and the rain and I pulled up on the river bank, super super muddy, and maybe I don't know like 50 60 meters away was a cut bank and then willows on top of it and I'd seen a bunch of bear tracks. So I got out and I was like, oh, some bear tracks. Dragged the canoe up, Carried on going. I was like, some more bear tracks. They look a bit old. There's a bit of like willow fluff blown in. Carry on going. And I got right to the cut bank and the tracks were still going like that. I was like, oh man, that's definitely bear right there. Like, so I was like, oh, hey dude. Yeah, so I was walking up this uh, shallow mud bank Plenty of bear tracks, spotted one or two with willow kind of fluff, or whatever the proper word is, willow snow. And I was like, well, they've been there a minute. Got right to the edge of the cut bank. And um, this track, you know when you walk in mud with your wellies on, you look back? I was like, okay, that's a grizzly bear right there. And I had seen plenty of grizzly bear tracks, I had seen grizzly bear, and I was like, (laughs) man. My mum's voice in my head, just listen to your inner voice. And I? I was like, do you know what? Cool, I'll camp somewhere else. Went back, shoved the canoe in, paddled, I don't know, five miles, a couple of miles, round the bend, pulled up, gravel, shingle, nice, can't see any tracks here, <laughs> I'm sure I'll be fine. Chucked my tent up and I had eaten already. So I was asleep after a hard day, and I hear, uh, I awake (laughs) to a heavy breathing, like fairly close, close to me, and I was like, right, well, (laughs) there's only a couple of things this could be, like moose are pretty dangerous, a lot of people are killed by moose, getting stamped on up there, and I was like, that's extremely close, didn't want to move, and um, I was like, man, what am I going to do? Getting the shivers thinking about this, actually. And I uh, could feel like or I could hear and sense like fairly weighty bare tracks or bare footprints or what I thought were bare footprints, footfalls coming like towards the tent. And I'd actually been pretty sensible thinking back to like earlier in the evening i was like food way away nothing smelly toothpaste mean, insect repellent fuel everything was just way away and um the golden rule i think is 100 meters between each like food camp and kit um and i was like right i'm pretty sure i know what this is and uh I was like it also knows what I am (laughs) and uh, got pretty pretty close so close that his nose went like that (laughs) On on the wall of the tent about six inches from my face and I was like right okay this is where it all ends. Are you armed? I'm not at this point about a day later I am armed Someone gave me a pistol, and they were like, just send it back when you get to whoa, the whoa, end. Whoa. <laughs> okay, that's a different <laughs> right, right, story. Right, different first. story. But um, <laughs> all you need is to be an aspiring Bob Dylan. Right, so I'm lying there, and the tent wall goes, all oh. right, and huffing and puffing. And I was like, holy smokes, this is like super, super, super close to like fucking up and not being here anymore. Just calm. Don't move, don't shout, just calm. It knows full well I am not a moose carcass or a dead salmon. It knows I'm something of interest. Um, it moves away ever so slightly. And I'm like, well, what am I going to do? I really don't want to be here or shock it or scare it. So, like, wisely, I've been carrying a mouth organ with me. <laughs> And I put the mouth organ in my mouth and just blow it ever so gently, and just go, and I just hear a little pause. And
2: And
1: I say, hey, Mr. Bear, I hope you haven't put the rent up. I just want to put my tent up. (laughs) And then, like, eventually, after, like, maybe 20 minutes of... Just to make it really weird, like there's a green blob, like sound, sounding like a kind of photocopier. The bear like wanders into the best of my sound, and then when I look to the tracks, it wandered into some like bushes, buck brush, like a little way away. About two seconds later, as I'm looking through the little vent on the end of an MSR, a big bull moose just plows out of the willows and just goes storming down the beach <laughs> and jumps into the river. Just, I was like, oh my God, I literally can't believe how close I was to like getting my head bitten off. And everyone was like, oh, what did you do? Did you like, <laughs> did you get up and pack your stuff up? Did you get out and make loads of noise? I was like, yeah, well, I did get out and make loads of noise. Then what, then what? And I was just, I, I just went back to bed.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, so I told to my uh, guys in like a bush village, like a little way down, like literally a day later, and they were like, "That's crazy. We've come, we've come pretty close, but never come this close." And This dude gave me Dirty Harry's pistol. He's like, <laughs> "Yeah, just keep this, man. If you get any like that close again, shoot it, because you're not going to get that luck." And I literally just wrapped it up in cardboard and sent it back to him when we got to Omanik um, out on the out on the coast. But yeah, pretty pretty funny story. That is wild. <laughs>
2: yeah, you. Go-
1: yeah, I seriously when I tell that story and it's like all of our. Uh, all of life's experiences, when you tell them like a couple of years later, it doesn't actually fit. It's just like a well kind of worn like tool or something, something to kind of uh, erase a kind of drink and a bit of cheer in the pub. But it's like, oh, actually, when I'm pausing and talking
2: to you, it's like, oh, shit, that actually happened. That's pretty loose. Yeah. And I mean, maybe now is not the time and place, but the fact that you had the uh, strength of character or... I don't know, just the the world weariness to stay totally calm and to play the mouth organ <laughs> yeah, is right. wild. Can you actually play it? No, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> That's as much as I needed
1: to play it. <laughs> Did the job, right? Wow. Yeah. Amazing. K- killer audience. <laughs> yeah. So. You still got that mouth organ? Still got the mouth organ, still can't play it i uh, wish i still had the pistol don't
2: have the pistol i probably wouldn't have used it anyway well that there's a the whole interesting i've yeah. spent some time in alaska and spent one week with some dudes who carry pistols on the chests everywhere yeah and the next week with a guy who only carried bear, bear spray, spray who said if you need a pistol you've messed up and it's your fault yeah i'd so, say so yeah a lot of people say
1: carry both but i think there's probably a lot of things you could do to mitigate um getting eaten by a bear or torn up or scratched by a bear yeah before that but
2: yeah wow and how far into the journey were you at that point uh i was probably about two thirds okay so you're a weathered (laughs) yukon traveler
1: (laughs) yeah i thought i was you know but the kind of old story like is up there like you're just a greenhorn or chichako i think it is unless you do a winter up there so man, i would probably go up there in a flash if Scarlett would come up with me, that'd be nice. <laughs> I would move there in an instant. Would so, you? Yeah. You'd like, move there to live? Yeah, I would move there to live in an instant. Everyone knows that. I'm just kind of like,
0: oh yeah, I really like
1: Gloucestershire. <laughs> <laughs> I would go there in a flash. Why? Just the freedom, man. And the landscape and the freedom. But it's not mine. I'd probably
2: pine for home after a couple of years. That is such a interesting way of putting it. I, that's the ultimate dilemma. Right. I think.
1: Yeah, I'd go and test it then. Yeah, getting by bear.
2: You could do a winter. <laughs> yeah, that'd be cool. What's the word? Not greenhorn. Chichaco, and Chichaco. that is—I uh, think that's mentioned in a Robert Service poem as well. So, yeah. Yeah. So I'm sure it wasn't as eventful as mouth organ incident, but what was the last third of your journey like? Um, calm. There was—I
1: um, bumped into a guy. That's a pretty funny story. So this is now I've got the pistol. So there's obviously other <laughs> <laughs> other guys and girls, people, paddling the river, but because I was on it so early, I was ahead of everyone and maybe, I don't know, six or seven people get down there a year, like right from the source all the way down. And I was fairly focused on the task at hand, so I was paddling pretty hard. But I knew there were people behind me and the idea of being the first that season to get out to the sea initially was like a bit of a drive. (laughs) And then it's just, whatever. I'm just really enjoying this. Just Who knows when I'll be in these parts again. Just make the most of it. Make the most of what you're doing, not necessarily, as I mentioned earlier, like going off, walking up hills and introducing risk where there doesn't need to be risk. Um, but one night I'd camped on an island and this was because I'd seen a bunch of bears and it was just a flat sand island and by this time the river's maybe like half a mile, mile wide. And, um, again I'd eaten earlier, set up, I was asleep. And and by this time it's just getting a little bit twilighty, like super early in the morning, you know? And um, I hear a rattling and clanking and banging and stuff. God, bears turning the boat over, like ripping my stuff up, not like what on earth. By this time I got the pistol and I was like, "Yo, oh, bear, go away, like
0: <laughs> <"Whoa!">
1: <laughs> and I was like, that's really strange. Why is he swam all the way over here to like mess with me? Um anyway, shouted, carried on, getting really close. up, man, was like my luck has definitely run out. I've used all my luck on this. And sensibly I had the pistol like really close at hand like, wrapped in an oily rag, in the bottom of a dry bag, (laughs) in the bottom (laughs) of a bag, like... (laughs) So I was like, okay, now's the time. (laughs) I get it out, and I'm unzipping the door, and I see a pair of bumming Tevers and there's literally a dude stood about six foot from my tent. What the hell, man? I nearly shot you was a German guy and he had literally been chasing me. Like he'd been bumping into people and other fishermen and stuff. Oh yeah, there's like a guy in a white canoe. He's in front of you. And he had literally had a kind of, the mission was to catch me. (laughs) He doesn't realize how close he came to getting like the bear spray. (laughs) Um, So I paddled one or two days with him. yeah, but going out to the sea was, I was hoping for the national lottery thing, I was really hoping, it's you, you've done it, the big kind of champagne, and it was just extremely calm and quiet, and you could see a storm rolling in off the Bering Sea, and it's just like, okay, well, you got here and Band of Brothers style, I like, scooped up some dirt, put it in a Ziploc bag, and was like, all right, let's go home then. <laughs> yeah took a little while to process it and I think there's quite a lot of stuff written about the melancholy of
2: missing a trip I don't think there's enough written about coming home yeah right people just prepare you for the journey
1: oh yeah plenty <laughs> plenty of, of push ups man yeah <laughs> <laughs> don't get banged. like well here's an empty notebook and here's a pen like yeah You should probably write it now, you know. And I've written stuff, but um, you've got to do it while it's fresh. That's the tip. Just do it when it's fresh. It might
2: be a bit of a chore, but do it. Because you'll thank yourself way down the road. Did it feel like an anti-climax, getting to the end? No, not
1: really. It... um, like made me aware that you are obviously, as we just mentioned a second ago, like you are capable of, of more, far more than what you think, even if for a long time you don't necessarily, haven't necessarily felt that
2: way. Just get out and have a go, I suppose. Two and a half thousand miles, I'm very little experience. And... <laughs> yeah. Um, and just... And then,
1: life gets in the way, right? I would have, if there wasn't family and people I really, really missed and loved at home, I'd have just turned left and carried on going. Yeah, that'd have been pretty nice. But I think I'd have probably got a day and gone, this is a really, really bad decision. Like, that was a good place to put a full stop. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so, but there's always another another river another mountain and it doesn't really matter if someone's been down it before or up it or across it or under it it's just it's you basically doing it Um, and it's not a test just an expression of intent against or with or in harmony with like a landscape i suppose
2: that is a wonderful way to put it. All right. I've never I think it's a wonderful way to put it. Yeah. God. That's kind of thrown me. Do you dwell on it? Every day. Really? Yeah.
1: Maybe just in passing. Just uh Yeah. Just it's there, isn't it? It's part of you. I gave the canoe away. It just it was tax. like I would paid a bunch of money for it, but it's like, I wasn't gonna be able to bring it home. And that village, all those villagers, like, oh, here comes another white fellow with a canoe, like why on earth would we pay, pay money for this? Because you ain't gonna be able to get it back. And um, it, it was pretty emotional seeing the boat go, but um, in theory you could like, and Jim would give me that paddle and I gave gave him the paddle back when I got back. And I gave him some dirt from the Bering Sea. And sat down and we shared stories. And I've got some dry bags and the bare barrel stayed out there. And what else have I got? There's some like stuff, you know, that you're like, oh, put some miles on that. How you would look at like a where like a used tool. And you like, there's a contentment in knowing what that's done. Um, only you know it. But yeah, it's in your DNA and you know this, the stuff you've done. It can't be taken away. You can literally
2: empty out your pockets, but it's... Yeah.
1: Just go and fill it up.
2: Yeah, well, that's the game. That's, I mean, that's my game is fill it up. There's another hour or five in this, but we're going to wrap it. I always ask two questions and I'm gonna ask you a third. The first is, what scares you? Um,
1: it used to be how I was perceived by people. Now I don't kind of give a great deal of thought to that. What scares me? Um, getting older a little bit I suppose just you can't stop the clock stiff backs bad knees that scares me
2: (laughs) yeah me too what
1: gives you hope Um, my nephews yeah Um, yeah my nephews give me hope good job Jane Um, (laughs) what gives me hope just I think we are a good species we have the answers just come on let's work at getting them out there you have to do uncomfortable stuff through uncomfortable stuff great change and good energy comes out of it so just turn a bad situation into a good one because we definitely can or definitely slow down what we're doing that gives me hope
2: yeah yeah and then when I first met you, last met you, <laughs> um, you said you were planning on going on a very long walk. Yeah. Where were you going? What were you doing? Um, Goddamn coronavirus! <laughs> and and why didn't you? And why did it matter? Um,
1: why did it matter? Right, so the plan was to um, fly up to Kaktovic, which is on the very north of the North Slope, which Donald Trump is now or basically the north slope is made up of the arctic national wildlife refuge like the cradle of it all really the birthplace of the caribou uh, porcupine caribou herd and just untouched arctic landscape and um it's now getting opened up for oil exploration and mineral extraction and drilling and all that kind of stuff which is just east of prudhoe bay and if you've been there and seen that stuff it's no good thing will come of this so maybe i don't know maybe we should all go and have a little look at that and see what we're actually destroying where do we draw the line and i basically wanted to see that place before it was no longer that place and there's not a great deal of places left like that um so the plan was to walk pretty much due south straight through the wildlife refuge up over the brooks range and um onto the porcupine watershed walk down until you could get a canoe in or pack raft in and then canoe out to the yukon but it didn't happen because of flight restrictions and stuff but still could yeah still could i just really hope there's no diggers kind of rolling around up there and survey tape and stuff that scares me
2: yeah i can understand that we are gonna go alone yeah why <laughs>
1: better stories right <laughs> no one can see you when you're crying and
2: i don't know maybe i
1: don't go with people very well <laughs> yeah singing sexiest man in jamaica at like top of your voice <laughs> i think would probably infuriate anyone
2: walking along with you like so. yeah alone why not challenge yourself ask questions of yourself cool last question I didn't do three I never manage it but last question what's the best poem about that part of the world um banging poem
1: axe handles by Gary Snyder okay go read it we'll end there
2: yeah man thank you very much oh dude there we go thank you very much that was wicked it was funny right Thanks for listening. For more information, visit theadventurepodcast.co.uk. The podcast is hosted by Matt Pycroft and produced and distributed by Pip Saunders, Alex Hall and Acast. If you'd like to get in touch, you can email us at info at theadventurepodcast.co.uk and please do leave us a review on iTunes. They make the world of difference um, and you can keep in touch on Instagram
0: at theadventurepodcast.